Esther chapter number 7, when we left off at the end of chapter number 6, we saw that in this story of Esther, that Haman, our evil villain in this passage of Scripture, is uh, having to do something that he really does not like. Mordecai, uh, a Jew who would not bow to Haman, uh, has actually won. If you remember the story, uh, Mordecai wouldn't bow to Haman. Haman's so upset, so aggravated, so distraught by Mordecai that he's declared that all the Jews should be killed. He's tricked King Ahasuerus into uh, decreeing that all the Jews would be killed. And not that that is sufficient, he is going to have Mordecai hung on a set of gallows that he's had built the night before. And uh, Mordecai has uh, uh, been brought to a place of prominence in the king's mind. The king couldn't sleep that night and read about Mordecai saving his life. And the end product is Mordecai gets praised and glorified at the hand of Haman. And now we change gears because Haman is going to have a second banquet with Queen Esther and we're going to see the end of Haman come in uh, chapter number 7. Uh, justice will be served and Haman's chickens are going to come home to roost. And uh, I think there's some things we can learn and glean from this passage. Esther chapter number 7, the Bible says in verse number 1, So the king and Haman came to banquet with Esther the queen. And the king said again unto Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? And it shall be performed, even to the high of the kingdom. Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition, and my people at my request. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. Then the king Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he and where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. And the king, arising from the banquet of wine and his wrath, went into the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen. For he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine. And Haman was fallen upon the bed whereon Esther was. Then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. 
And we come tonight to chapter 7, and Haman is hanged. And uh, if you have been following along in the story, it's, uh, it's about time, maybe one of your responses. It's about time, and Haman is getting what he deserves. Uh, part of me wants to rejoice that the evil villain is put to death, but then another part of me regrets, and my heart is broken that Haman has made such a terrible mess. I want to see the Haman-like characteristics that abide in my life. And I'll just tell you, I have them, and so do you. The temptation to be selfish, the temptation to be ruled and led by our flesh, the temptation to be full of pride, it dwells in all of us. May the Lord help us to identify the Haman that hangs out in all of our hearts. And it breaks my heart to see Haman hanged. But I'll have you know something. The Bible makes it very plain. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And we see the end of Haman is the end of a life that is invested in wrong. And as J. Vernon McGee said very plainly, Haman's chickens came home to roost. I don't like it, but it's true. Haman is hanged is tonight's message title, and we're going to work our way through it. I listened to Alistair Begg preach a message on this chapter of the Bible, and he began his message with an interesting story. Sir Robert Watson Watt was the inventor of radar. It was a wartime invention, and the invention of radar changed things in a big way, and Sir Robert Watson Watt, invented radar. It's kind of interesting to know that uh, after being paid for his invention in a big fashion and, uh, and going on to invent other things, uh, Sir Robert Watson Watt was traveling in Canada and a police officer radared him going too fast and he ended up getting arrested for speeding. And in response to his arrest at his own invention, he wrote this little poem. He said, Pity Sir Robert Watson Watt, strange target of his radar plot. And this with others I could mention, a victim of his own invention. And, uh, and uh, Watson Watt invented radar and ended up having to uh, bail himself out because of his own invention. I thought it was kind of interesting because I looked at a number of of different stories online. It was on the internet, so it's got to be true, of uh, people who were actually ended up being killed by their own inventions, chemists who invented certain things and suffered at their demise. There was a, a man that worked for General Electric who decided to put a, uh, a, a motor on a bicycle and motorize a bicycle, and he was killed on one of the very first uh, motorcycles. And uh, Death by invention. And I'm going to tell you something. Don't stop inventing things. and Don't be afraid to invent things. But I can tell you this for sure. You reap what you sow. And that happens to Haman in a big way. We'll get to that at the very end. But I want to take a minute and we'll look at three different characters here that are very prominent in this text. One is Esther, two is Ahasuerus, and three is Haman. But I want to talk to you today, beginning number one, with Esther, who courageously stands. Esther courageously stands. Someone said it in this passage of Scripture, the first six verses is Esther spilling the beans. And she actually does uh, expose a lot of things in these first few verses. And I'll take you just a minute and look at it. The Bible says in verse 1, 
So the king and Haman came to banquet with Queen Esther, the queen, with Esther, the queen. And the king said again unto Esther, on the second day at the banquet of wine, what is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee, and what is thy request? And it shall be performed even to the half of the kingdom. If you remember, at the first banquet, the king asked, what is it that you want? What are you asking of me? And he offered on the the previous day, the previous banquet, the same offer. What would you have? I'll give you up to half the kingdom. And she said, I'll tell you what I want. I'll tell you what I want tomorrow if you'll banquet with me again. And so day two is here, and Haman has come, and the king and Esther, and they're meeting together. And the Bible says in verse number 3, Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition. Now, at this moment, Ahasuerus is completely uh, unaware that this uh, edict, that this command that this group of lawless people as Haman had presented it to him would be uh, was also uh, Esther's people he's completely unaware and so the queen Queen Esther a person who has great favor in the king's eyes so much so that he's agreed two days in a row to banquet with her she looks at the king and says king what I want is I want you to protect my life because I'm going to die. Can you imagine the shock? She says, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. She says, I'm going to die. My people are going to die. And I need you to intervene. Whoa, can you imagine? Hold on, what's happening? The Bible says in verse 4, she continues, for we are sold. Now, I think this is a fascinating statement. We are sold. I don't know if you remember the, uh, the going back and forth between Haman and Ahasuerus when Haman is tricking the king into letting this edict go out. Haman says, says I'll give you all this money to make up for the money that you're going to lose by losing all these Jews. I'll give you this money. I'll give you this money. I'll give you this money. And so Esther says, we've been sold. We've been sold out. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed to be slain and to perish. She says, will you please save my life and my people's life? We've been sold. And she begins to use the same words that are used in the command, in the edict that was sent out to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. Then she says this in verse 4, but if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I had held my tongue. She said, now listen, I'm just going to tell you how important this is. She says, King, if you just, if, if the edict had said, we're going to sell the Jews into slavery, men slaves and women slaves, if you're going to save, sell us into slavery, she said, I, would have not, I wouldn't have brought that up. I wouldn't have said anything. And the last phrase of verse uh, number four is a little, bit, uh, a little bit confusing, but I think I can help it make sense. The Bible says, she says, if we had been sold for bondmen and, and bondwomen, I'd held my tongue. Although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. That phrase, that, that sentence is a little bit difficult to understand. If we're just going to put it into simple terms, uh, she said, she said if, if, you'd saw, if we'd been sold as bondmen bond bond and bondwomen, slaves, then I wouldn't have brought up because it wouldn't have been worth the bother. 
to you. It wouldn't be worth, uh, worth, it wouldn't equal out. That word countervail means equal out. The complaint wouldn't be worth the damage that it would do to the king's schedule and the king's demeanor. And she says, I just, I wouldn't have brought it up. It just wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have been worth it. The time, it wouldn't have been worth your time. But look, king, they want to take, they want to take my life. The edict takes my life. The edict takes my people's life. The edict takes Mordecai's life. All the Jews are in danger. The Bible says in verse 5, Then the king Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he? And where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? Now, if we were to answer honestly, verse number 5, the king could have, she could have said, You need to look in the mirror you big dummy. But Esther is a person that doesn't only have a beautiful face, but she's bright. And she understands that Haman has, uh, has coerced the king into doing something that he doesn't completely understand. And when the king says, who is he? Where is he? Esther, with great boldness, Esther, with great boldness, speaks up. The Bible says in Verse number six, Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. I want to take just a moment and talk to you for just a second about Esther's courageous stand. Can you imagine the guts it took to put this on? Now, her people have been praying, and Mordecai and his people have been praying, and she's got the courage up to do the right thing And I'll just tell you, when you decide to do the right thing and take a stand and trust in the Lord and believe the Lord and believe God in his ways, it pays. It's right. And Esther courageously stands for the glory of God. You know, it's easy to be a Christian in a church house. But it's hard out in public. It's hard at work. But we should. We should determine we're going to live boldly for the glory of God. Somebody I love dearly tells a story of a man that he worked with. And he says this man was so well-meaning. It was a man that worked on a traveling construction crew. And the man was bothered at, uh, because the friend that I have was working with him. And he was a Christian. It was, he was clearly a Christian. He didn't cuss like the rest of them. He didn't act like the rest of them. He didn't cheat like the rest of them. And uh, this well-meaning man came up to my friend and said, said, hey, listen, while we're traveling at week and gone during the week, he said, we should, you should be one of the boys. You should be one of the guys. You know, you should try to get along with all these guys. They're wild. They're mean. They're... Uh, You should try to be, and this guy, he said, for example, he said, I'm a Christian, and on the weekends, I go to church, I dress up, and I don't cuss, and I do the right things on the weekends, but when I get out with the boys, I just have to, I just had to learn how to get along. Let me tell you something, that is an erroneous philosophy of the Christian life. That's Phariseeism. It's hypocrisy. Hey, listen, it's sin. And if you act one way in front of the preacher and act another way in front of somebody else, shame on you. Shame on you. I'll just tell you point blank. I just assume you act like you all the time, whether I'm around or not. 
And remember something. God promised when you got saved, he'd never leave you nor forsake you. Don't forget it. I got to help us to be the kind of people who live for Jesus. No matter who we're around. Who live for Jesus, no matter whether we're with people or alone. That's a convicting statement and thought. I got to help us to courageously stand for God and his glory. And I'm so thankful for Esther. You know what Esther did? Esther got up the nerve and got up the guts and trusted in God and did what was right. And it's going to reap eternal dividends. Esther's going to make an impression on the largest nation at this time because of her stand for God. And Esther is going to make an impression on the hearts of people like us 3,000 plus years later at the Chihuahua Baptist Church. Why? Because she courageously stood for the Lord. Esther courageously stands. Number two, Ahasuerus writes a wrong. Now, I'm not telling you that Ahasuerus is some godly example, but I am interested to look into the life of Ahasuerus because Ahasuerus now is placed between a rock and a hard place, and I'm confident that he makes the right decision. And actually, I believe that God helps him make the right decision. Ahasuerus. Now look with me in verse number 7. So the Bible says now that Haman has been exposed, verse number 7, that the king arising from the banquet of wine and his wrath went into the palace garden. Now you can just imagine here that the king is very angry. He's putting a bunch of pieces together. All in, in the last few sentences that have come out of Esther's mouth, he realizes that he's been hoodwinked by uh, none other than Haman himself. He realizes that he's made a terrible mistake. He realizes that this is a big problem, and he realizes that Haman is to blame, and he is angry, and he jumps up to his feet, and he's mad as a hornet. The Bible says that in wrath he went into the palace garden, verse number 7, and Haman stood up to make requests for his life to Esther the queen. Haman's terrified. He stands up to make requests for his life to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Verse number 8, then the king returned out of the palace garden. He stomped out and stomps back in into the place of the banquet of wine. And Haman was fallen upon the bed whereon Esther was. Now, this is the picture you've got to see. Oh, Haman, he is all to pieces. And he's made one last horrible move. When the king steps out, stomps out, I should say, while Haman is begging for his life from Esther, you can imagine Esther must be stretched out on some... Uh, chase like bed uh, for this banquet of wine and they've had their conversation in their comfort Haman stood up from wherever he was at and now he's fallen on the bed where Esther is so when the king stomps out Haman hasn't even stood up yet but when the king stomps back in, Haman is not, has, has not only left the place where he was seated, he stood up and now he's fallen on his face and he's on the same bed with Esther the queen. Not very smart. There's old Jewish fables that believe that God pushed Haman onto the bed of Esther. It's kind of interesting to read and hear about these things. 
that what you see is what I see and what Ahasuerus saw when he came back in to the banquet. There's Haman laying on his bed, on the same bed with his wife. Now, this is an interesting thought. There's no doubt Haman's wondering, how in the world do I re- how in the world do I hang the man that's just doing what I told him to do? By the official edict, it was the word of the king that all the Jews would be slain. How do I deal with a man? You can imagine the news report. Ahasuerus doubles back on own decision and punishes underling because of it. You know, so at any rate, here's what happens. He leaves thinking, how am I going to reconcile this? He comes back in and the problem has taken care of itself because Haman has committed a crime against his queen. Haman's laying on the same bed with Queen Esther. The Bible says in verse number 7, sorry, in verse number 8, the king returned out of the palace garden into the palace of the banquet of wine, and Haman was fallen upon the bed whereon Esther was. Then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? The Bible says, As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold, also the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. I'm thankful to see something. Ahasuerus righted a wrong. I'm sad to say that I've met many times through the years people who are too proud to right a wrong. Too proud to say, I'm sorry. Too proud to say, I've made a mistake. Too proud to back up and fix something that they did, whether it was ignorantly or sinfully. Too proud to fix something that they've messed up. You know something that God's people should become very acquainted with? Apologizing. If you ever met somebody that won't say, I'm sorry, let me tell you something, that's not the spirit of a Christian. Look, you're going to make mistakes. And I'm sorry, and I messed up, and the idea and notion that I can make mistakes is something that all of us should be very keenly aware of. And I'm thankful that King Ahasuerus is willing to right or wrong. Now, we don't see him say, I'm sorry, We don't see him come back and say, Esther, I sure did blow this one. But we do see him make the necessary judgments and the necessary changes in order to right a wrong that he had caused. As I read this and studied, I was just reminded again that we need to have a sense of humility about us all that's willing to admit error and do what is necessary to make things right. Boy, if you'll have the burden in your marriage to be the first person to apologize or the first person to look for a reason to acknowledge that you're wrong, that'll make a difference in your home. I don't know about you, but the people through my life that that have had the courage to come to me and say, hey, look, I made a mistake. I did the wrong thing. 
th- those people don't lose ground or credibility in my mind and thinking. As a matter of fact, I just feel like someone that has the uh, courage and spiritual guts to acknowledge error and make things right, that person doesn't lose any ground in my thing. As a matter of fact, they get esteemed to a place of greater respect. You can trust somebody who'll acknowledge they're wrong, but somebody who's afraid to ever admit error, someone who is too proud to admit they've done anything wrong at all, you can't trust that person because that person is more interested in being right in their own eyes than they are being right with God. And I'm thankful. Has your heirs rights or wrong? And finally, number three, Haman reaps what he sows. Haman reaps what he sows. Look at the Bible says in verse number nine. I've just read it, but we need to see it's uh, it's a fascinating. As the the end of verse eight, as the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. I mean, as soon as this happened with Haman laying on Esther's bed. The people who were attending to the king and Haman and this banquet with Esther, as soon as this happened, they took and they bagged Haman's head. They put a bag over his head. They covered his face. The Bible says that Harbona spoke up. Harbona, one of the king's chamberlains, said before the king, Behold, also the gallows, 50 cubits high. Uh, more, uh, Haman had made the gallows for Mordecai which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him thereon. Haman was so angry yesterday with Mordecai that he had gallows built so he could hang him. And today, verse number 10, the Bible says they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. I'm not happy that Haman is hanged. But I am warned in my own heart that Haman is hanged. There's a verse of scripture that I love, and it helps you deal with people. The Bible says, smite the scorner, and the simple will beware. Have you ever heard that verse? And the principle is very very right and very good. Smite the scorner and the simple will beware. The person who's not afraid of the law, the person who's not afraid, when you punish a person for doing the wrong thing, that's why it's important we uphold laws in a civil society. When you punish a person for breaking the law, guess what happens? People with a little bit of sense, they're like, whoa, I'm not doing that because I don't want that. And so Haman, as bad as I hate for Haman's life to come to such a tragic end, because there's no doubt Haman had parents who had great anticipation for him. But Haman blew it. I don't love that Haman's hanged. But Haman must be hanged. And it's a lesson and a reminder to all of us that sin has consequences. It's a lesson to all of us that Whatsoever man soweth, that shall also reap. You may just take note of this reference in your, bi- in your notes, in your Bible. Galatians 6, 7, 8, and 9. It goes something like this. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now the law of sowing and reaping is very plain. You reap what you sow, and you reap 
more than you sow. A lot of us are thinking about planting something in the spring. The sun's beginning to shine. When you put one ear, one kernel of corn in the ground, you don't expect to get one kernel of corn out. When you sow corn seed, you expect to get a lot more. I don't remember the number exactly, but most of the time, one corn seed uh, produces one stalk and two ears and somewhere in the neighborhood of 550-some individual corn seeds is the byproduct of one corn seed put in the ground. Now, I'm just telling you, the Bible paints you a picture. Whatsoever man soweth, actually also reap. And if you've got Haman-like tendencies, you're making your bed. Repent, turn. Haman reaped what he sowed. I want you to keep your finger here and turn with me to Psalm chapter number 7. Just a few pages to the right in your Bibles. Psalm chapter number 7. The Bible says something I want you to see. Psalm 7. At verse number 14. Psalm 7, 14. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. This person's bad. He travaileth in iniquity. He's conceived in mischief. Iniquity, mischief. Brought forth falsehood. We've got somebody like Haman. The Bible says in verse 15. He made a pit and digged it. And has fallen into the ditch which he made. The picture says, and you live in sin. You sow discord. You live wickedly. You have these Haman-like tendencies. You live in your flesh. You be the kind of person that is not like Esther, not willing to stand, but is a Pharisee and double-minded. You have a spirit that's counter to what Ahasuerus does in this passage of Scripture, and you're not willing to right your wrongs. Let me tell you something. The Bible says you're digging a pit. The Bible says you dig that pit. He made a pit and digged it. And has fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head. And his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. I'm just telling you that you reap what you sow. Haman reaped what he sowed. Haman was hanged on his own gallows. May the Lord help us not to fall into that trap.